Yeah, my name is Bobby Barber. I'm uh, one of the pastors out at Soma Northwest, and it has been a while since I've been back here. Uh, my wife and I came to Soma. We were just Soma Church when we came back in 2014. Uh, we came when we were meeting at the Broad Ripple Arts Center, and I know there's maybe a handful of people here this morning who remember that period of time. My wife and I came um, the week after we had had our second child. Uh, we were not in a good spot, just uh, in our marriage, in life. Uh, we were trying to figure a lot of things out. Um, we uh, were in full-time ministry, and we were pouring out, pouring out, pouring out, uh, and we were just completely dried up. Uh, we had been uh, a part of a church for a few years and had been in relationship with some really good people, but were transitioning and trying to figure out where to go next. Um, we actually had uh, a couple people who knew that we were looking for a church that were a part of SOMA, and they said, why don't you come and visit? And uh, to be honest, our first thought was we would never go to this church because it's a bunch of college, college students and single people. And um, we finally felt obligated because our friends knew we were looking to come. And the first Sunday we walked through the door, our lives changed. Um, and so we, over the course of the next couple of years, uh, were really nursed back to health because of the Soma community. We found some of our closest friends through this community of people. And um, I just, I know Brandon's not here this morning, uh, but Brandon was a huge part of that, a huge part of ministering to us, he and Emily, and uh, getting us connected. And so we have a lot of fond memories. For those of you who may not know, Soma Northwest launched out in 2017. And uh, we just celebrated our four-year anniversary uh, last month. We're excited about what God is doing. We just recently moved into our own building, and so that's been a fun thing. feel like we've kind of moved out of mom's basement and into, like, having our own space. And so we're having to buy furniture and put things on the wall and all this kind of stuff when we were meeting in an elementary school and then meeting out in the middle of a field for a year uh, that we didn't have to think about. But it's also opened up a lot of really cool possibilities for our community, but also for us being more rooted there on the northwest side of Indianapolis. So we would love to have any of you come and visit with us for a morning and, and worship with us. And we're thankful, really thankful, uh, for Soma Midtown and the support that they've offered us over the last few years and, and the support that they continue to do. So... Um, yeah, I'm happy to be here. It's good to see some of you that I know, a lot of you that I don't know. Uh, and so I'm really thankful to be able to worship with you this morning. You started the book of Acts, right? Am I right about that? Uh, a couple weeks ago. And uh, we went through the book of Acts uh, last year and into the spring as uh, Soma Northwest community. And it was really transform transformational for us. Uh, Dr. Luke wrote this account, this book that we call Acts, about 50 years after Jesus' death and resurrection and about 20 years after um, the final events that he records in this book. He wrote it 
because at this point, the Jesus movement at the end of the first century needed definition. There was a broad spectrum of beliefs within this group known as followers of Jesus or followers of the way or Christians, Christ ones, a broad spectrum of beliefs and practices and different splinter groups and factions within this movement were starting to become more and more prominent. So the church needed a foundation. They needed to know what are, the, what are we building on? Luke wrote this book in part to give Christianity at that point an identity, to talk about their shared history, to bring them back to a point of how did this start? What are the things that are important, the beliefs, the values? What has God called us to do and who has God called us to be? What was unique about this movement and something that we're going to get into this morning is that it wasn't a group of people tied to a specific ethnicity. It wasn't a group of people tied to a specific place. Luke wrote this book that we call Acts to answer the question, who are the people of God? Who are the people of God? The movement that we read about in Acts was made up of people like you and like me. People who had been transformed by Jesus. People who were trying to figure out what it, mean, what it means to live in a world with different beliefs, different values, and different practices. As you saw a few weeks ago, Luke's account begins with Jesus' followers waiting. They were waiting. Jesus told them, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait. Don't rush out and try to change the world. Don't slide out the back door because you're afraid or you feel grossly inadequate. Wait. Wait for the gift my Father has promised. When we read through the book of Acts, it is clear that Luke believed without the coming of the Spirit, there would be no prophecy, there would be no preaching, there would be no mission, there would be no conversions, there would be no worldwide Christian movement. Everything, everything God planned to do depended on his presence and his power. I know last week Brandon talked with you all about declaring and demonstrating the kingdom of God that Jesus commissioned his followers to be witnesses. And this morning, what I want to look at with you is the coming of the Spirit. And the coming of the Spirit in light of God's plan to fill the earth with his glory. God's plan to fill the earth with his glory. So turn with me to Acts chapter 2. And we are going to read Acts chapter 2, the first 21 verses. I want to make a couple of comments on what we see here, the events that Luke records happening on this day in Jerusalem. But then I also want to connect this to a bigger story, a bigger narrative, a bigger pattern that we see 
throughout Scripture. Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues as of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven. And at this sound, the multitude came together and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes, Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia and Pamphylia, Egypt and the parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians, we hear them telling in our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking, said, they're filled with the new wine. Peter's Peter stands up and he says, standing with the 11, lifting up his voice, addressing them, listen to this, men of Judea and all who dwell in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give ear to my words. For these people are not drunk, as you suppose, since it is only the third hour of the day. But this is what was uttered through the prophet Joel. And in the last days it shall be, God declares, that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and my female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke, and the sun shall be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the day of the Lord comes, the great and magnificent day, and it shall come to pass that everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. This is the word of God. So we see here, at the beginning of Acts 2, the disciples are still waiting. They're doing exactly what Jesus told them to do. And the Spirit, who the Father promised, who Jesus had talked about and prepared his disciples for, entered that house, and everything changed. Everything changed from that moment on. Luke wrote that they were filled. So not only was the presence of God with them, they had had Jesus with them. Jesus was with them, living with them, teaching with them. They watched him. They talked with him. They ate with him. They prayed with him. 
They had God, the very presence of God with them, but now here in Acts chapter 2, what we see is the presence of God is now in them. The presence of God is in them, and they began speaking to each other in different languages. Some of you may know this, but this happened on the Feast of Pentecost, which was a one-day festival in Jerusalem Large gatherings of people from all over the Roman Empire would come to Jerusalem for this one-day festival. There were, there were lots of eating and, and, and partying and offerings. In the Old Testament times, this festival marked the end of the harvest. It was the celebration of Yahweh's blessing on his people. So right here, we have already a lot of built-in symbolism and significance for what is going to happen here and what we've just read about. Luke tells us that there were Jews from every nation under heaven there. And that might have been a little hyperbolic, but Luke's point is that there are Jews from all over the Roman Empire in Jerusalem that day, dating back centuries. Jews had lived outside of Palestine. Almost every major city of that day had a significant Jewish community within it. And so on these festivals, festival days and these festival periods and seasons, Jews would make pilgrimage back to Jerusalem. They would travel back to Jerusalem for these festivals. Some would do it to connect with their roots. Some would do it to possibly connect with extended family members that still lived there in Jerusalem. It was also common in that day for those Jews who had grown up and lived in other cities around the Roman Empire to relocate back to Jerusalem to live out the final years of their lives. The point is, the streets were teeming with people. Large crowds in Jerusalem that day celebrating Pentecost. And people who are from all of these different nations that Luke mentions here, all of these different people groups who natively speak all kinds of different languages, start hearing other people speaking in their native tongue. Now, if you have ever spent time overseas in a country where English is not the native language. And you're out in public and you're walking around and you hear someone speaking English, it cuts through the crowd. I've had this experience multiple times at different places around the world. Out in public, you're used to hearing everybody else speaking their native language. You may be there with a small group of people and you're obviously speaking English with them. But when you hear another voice in another place, speaking your language, your ears perk up. A large number of people started to gather around the disciples because they heard their language being spoken. And what they heard were the disciples declaring the wonders of God. Declaring the wonders of God in a language that they could understand. What's significant here is that it's the same message, but it's a different language. It's not a different message spoken in a different language. It is the same message about the wonders of God 
in a different language. And this is a pattern that we will see throughout the book of Acts. Contextualization matters. It matters. Peter and Paul will go to different places. They will speak to different groups of people, and they will speak to them in ways that connect with those folks. They will speak to them about Jesus Christ and the wonders of God in a way that makes sense to the people to whom they are speaking. Remember what Jesus said to his disciples, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and that power, as you saw last week, was for a specific purpose, to bear witness about Jesus, to declare the wonders of God. They were continuing here the word and work of Jesus Christ, declaring to people in a way that they could understand the glory of God, the glory of God. And they were doing it in the power of the Spirit. In Luke's gospel, which was, they were written together. They were meant to be read together. And that's why we see a lot of the same patterns in Luke's gospel as we do in the book of Acts. In chapter 4 of Luke's gospel, he records Jesus stepping onto the scene publicly. And Jesus goes to the temple. And because he has announced himself to be a rabbi, to be a teacher, He took one of the scrolls and he unrolled the scroll and he read from this scroll in the hearing of all these people who had come to listen to teaching in the temple. And the passage of scripture that he read was from the prophet Isaiah about the Messiah coming and the work that the Messiah would do. The miraculous work of Jesus were signs that God's kingdom had broken through. And Jesus in that moment reads this about the prophecy of the Messiah and all of the work that the Messiah would do, and he rolls that scroll back up and he sits down, which in that day was an act of authority, of saying that what I'm getting ready to say is true, it is from God, you can take it to the bank. And what did Jesus say? These words have been fulfilled in your hearing. I am who the prophet Isaiah was talking about. And this work that he prophesied about, this Messiah work is the work that I have come to do. Jesus wasn't pretending to be human. He was fully human. But the Messiah was here. God was here. And the people in that time, Luke records, were amazed, just like they were amazed at Pentecost. They were amazed at Jesus' words, and they said, wait, hold on, isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the son of a carpenter? Isn't this this guy from Nazareth? Where did Jesus get the power to do the miraculous Messiah-like work? The Spirit of God. The Spirit of God. Luke presents Jesus in his gospel as the new spirit-empowered human who will empower his followers to be the same kind of people. And this is what we see in the book of Acts. This is what kicks off here in Acts chapter 2 at Pentecost. The spirit-empowered 
people of God doing the word and speak, doing the work and speaking the word of God. And again, just like in Luke 4, some people were intrigued and they wanted to hear, wait, what are these people talking about? I want to hear more about this. I want to understand more about this. But others mocked. They're just drunk. They've had too much to drink and they're talking nonsense. And so Peter stood up to explain to them what they were witnessing was evidence that the last days, the last days had begun. You see, the Jews were always waiting. They were always looking forward to the Messiah to come and the kingdom of God to be established. They were waiting for their lives to change, for their vindication as God's chosen people to be made real, for them to be released from out from under the thumb of oppression, for them to have their own government, their own king, for their own way of life and their own religious practices to be respected and honored. Even the disciples so many times asked Jesus, hey, when, the, when is the kingdom coming? We believe you're the Messiah, but, but when is this going to be real for us? They were always waiting. They were always looking forward. And quoting Joel, Peter tells this crowd, your wait is over. Your wait is over. What you have been hoping for, what you have been listening to, what you have been waiting for is here. The Messiah has come. The coming of the Spirit in this moment, signaled the start of a new age, an age in which everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Acts 2 is part of a bigger theme throughout the Scriptures. What we see here happening on this day and what will continue to happen and be recorded throughout the book of Acts is something that God had been doing for generations. I want to take you back to the Old Testament. Turn with me to Genesis chapter 11. I want to connect what we have read here in Acts 2 to something that happened a long, long time before. Genesis chapter 11. Starting in verse 1. Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had bricks for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. And let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. And the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the children of man had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people and they have all one language. And this is only the beginning of what they will do. 
and nothing they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord dispersed them there over the face of the, all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, its name was called Babel, because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord dispersed them over the face of all the earth. I told our folks at Northwest this a few weeks ago. Genesis chapters 1 through 11 is probably the most significant section of all the Scripture. Everything that we understand about God, about God, what God is doing in this world, about ourselves, about the world around us, we find rooted in this first section of Genesis. This is the groundwork for everything else. What we see here in Genesis chapter 11, this is after the fall, this is after the flood, after God's judgment on the earth. God chose one family, Noah's family, to be his representatives on this earth. There weren't many nations or ethnicities at this point. The writer tells us there's just one. There weren't many languages. There were just one. And these people began to move together. They moved eastward, just like their first parents, Adam and Eve. They banished from Eden. They, they went east. And all of these generations later, their descendants are still moving east. But as they are moving, something happens here. They stop. They stop. And they decide to put down roots. They decide to make this place their own place. And they work together. And they build a community together. And that sounds good, right? That's, that, that sounds pretty good. Only it's not what God had told them to do. It's not what God had told them to do. Back in Genesis chapter 9, verse 1, he had told their descendants, Noah and his sons, he said this, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. That sounds familiar, doesn't it? Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is the same command that God gave Adam and Eve. God gave Adam and Eve his authority to rule over this earth in his name, to do his work on his behalf to fill this earth with his glory, the knowledge of him. The fall didn't change God's purposes for humanity. God told these people, Noah's descendants, fill the earth, spread my name. Why did they stop? Why did they stop? They stopped moving, they settled down, and they started building to make a name for themselves. Instead of filling the earth with the glory of God in God's name, they stopped so that they could make a name for themselves. They wanted a reputation that would outlast them. They wanted a legacy. They wanted immortality. They wanted a city that represented their hopes and their dreams. On one hand, this city offered them a chance to say, 
Look what we can do. Look what we can build. It is a monument to their ingenuity, their creativity, their skill. And it made them feel good about themselves. At the center of this city was the focal point, a massive, breathtaking tower, this solid stone, stair-stepped pyramid, a ziggurat. It was a giant staircase for the gods to go back and forth between the heavens and the earth. They wanted the gods to come down and to see what they had done and to bless them. This was their city. This tower was something they could be proud of, and it connected them to the divine. On the other hand, their city offered them protection. They said it in verse 4 there of chapter 11. Come, let us build a city and a tower with its top in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to go. They didn't want to be dispersed. It was risky. It could be dangerous. In the city, they'd be protected by the walls, the restraint in numbers. They wouldn't be fighting for resources. But in the city, they would cooperate. They would share resources. They would, twice would they spread throughout the whole earth when everything that they wanted and everything that they could have was right here. It's easy to read this story and kind of assume that God was threatened by their progress, that God was threatened by what they were doing. But the opposite is true. They were living out the Imago Day. God had created them to work. Their manufacturing, their engineering, their creativity reflected the work of their creator. Progress wasn't the issue. Their work wasn't the issue. Their creativity and their ingenuity wasn't the issue. The issue was they weren't living out their purpose. They weren't filling the earth with the glory of God. This is who they were and who they were made to be. This is how they would experience blessing. And they chose to reject it. If God allowed them to continue, they would move further and further and further away from his blessing. So he confused their language. He cut the, to the core of their identity what held them together. They wanted to settle, but God unsettled them. They wanted to stay together, but God scattered them. They were trying to make a name for themselves, but God left them so confused that they couldn't continue their work. He judged them for turning away from him. But through this judgment came mercy. God saw them building this city, this tower, and he knew that the longer that they stayed together with their comp competing interests, selfishness, and increasing desire to make themselves great, they would eventually destroy themselves. Because he loved them, he scattered them. He scattered them in order to save them from themselves. And this pattern would continue throughout the Old Testament. God would continue to scatter his people in order to gather them back in. 
He, they, his people would build more cities. They would listen to God for a while, but just like before, they would turn away from him again. And God would scatter them again and again and again. When we come to Pentecost, Peter explains that what these folks in the streets of Jerusalem are witnessing is a sign from God. Something that was talked about years and years before. God had been scattering and gathering, scattering and gathering. And the prophets, just like Joel, were looking forward to a time when God would come down again, but instead of confusion, he would bring understanding. And instead of dividing the people, he would unite. What we see here is a glimpse of God's new people. People who had been scattered being brought back together. A group of people that will continue to make, continue to take shape and to grow throughout the book of Acts. Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. But what we see here is the beginning of something else, a new pattern. Instead of people being gathered and then scattered in judgment, God is gathering his people to scatter them again in power, in spirit power, to fill the earth with the glory of God. People from different ethnicities, different cultures, different languages, united by the Spirit and declaring the wonders of God. This is God's people. This is God's church. Racial reconciliation, celebrating diversity, promoting, maintaining unity, we aren't about those things because we, it puts us in line with what's in the mainstream right now, or that so everybody can feel good about themselves. This is how God is most fully seen and experienced in this world. This is how God is most fully seen and experienced in this world. I mean, you know the vision of Revelation chapter 7. Great multitude from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne of God together, praising God and saying, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and unto the Lamb. This is the kingdom of God. These are the people of God from every tribe from every tongue, from every nation, declaring the wonders of God. This is what we see beginning to happen in Acts chapter 2. I don't really have application points per se this morning. I do have an encouragement. I remember back in 2015, I think it was, 
this room here was filled. And there were people sitting out in the gallery for an event that we hosted called The Talk. It was an event where we brought community leaders from all over the city to talk about racial reconciliation, to talk about justice. And for those of us who were around at that point, we know that, honestly, there just weren't a lot of churches talking about these things in this city at that time. There weren't a lot of churches really putting a lot of effort, putting money in their budget, space in their ministry calendar to talk about kingdom diversity and coming together and pursuing and maintaining the unity that we have through God's spirit. And I just want to honor Brandon this morning. He was really a trailblazer at that point in time. Many churches here in the city are pursuing kingdom diversity now because of the influence of Soma in those days. There was a lot of good work that happened and that is happening because of you and because of the church community that you, that you are a part of. And in our efforts to continue to bring awareness, to pursue real relationships, to empower everyone to lead and to build up the body of Christ, to serve our community, we know that we are in alignment with what God says is good and right because this is what God has been doing. This is part of his plan from the beginning, to fill the earth with his glory. This is a beautiful picture, but it's also really, really hard. It's really hard. I mean, nothing good is ever easy. Unity requires humility. It requires service. It requires laying our lives down for others who are not like us, who are different from us. Some folks are always going to be disappointed. Some folks are always going to criticize you for not doing enough. Others are going to be angry that you're even having this conversation in the first place. And my encouragement to you this morning is don't grow weary. Don't grow weary in this work of pursuing one another, laying your lives down for each other, lifting each other up, celebrating the distinctiveness and the diversity of this group of people pursuing and maintaining unity amongst yourselves. Keep doing the hard thing. Listen with humility, but know that you are aligned with God's kingdom and God's will. What you will continue to see here in the book of Acts is that this early church community was a unique kind of human community because it defied categories. It was multiracial and multiethnic. It was a community that was highly committed to caring for the poor and for the marginalized, a community that was non-retaliatory and marked by a commitment to forgive and love their enemies. It was a community that was strongly and practically against abortion and against infanticide, which was common in that day. It was a community that was revolutionary 
regarding sexual ethics. What you will continue to see in this book of Acts is that the movement that would flip the Roman Empire on its head wasn't about political power or military might. It was a diverse group of people who had been transformed by the mercy of God. A diverse group of people transformed by the mercy of God. This is how God has chosen to fill this earth with his glory. People from every tribe, from every tongue, from every nation, declaring the wonders of God in their language to people who will listen. This is what God is doing through you. This is what God is doing around the world. This is what we are a part of. As we come to our time of communion this morning, I want to invite ushers to come and they have some of the little prepackaged cups for you and they will pass those out. We are one body in one spirit because of the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Jesus' death on the cross and his resurrection from the grave and the faith through which we enter into that relationship with God brings us into relationship with one another. That's why we take communion every week together. Because we have a relationship with God, but that's not always all we have. Our relationship with God allows us to have relationship with each other. On a deep level, a spiritual level. Jesus' death and resurrection brought people who were scattered into the family of God. Brought people who were far off near, broke down the wall of separation and hostility so that we could be one with God and one with each other. So as we do this this morning, we do this in remembrance of him. And we do this with thanksgiving in our heart that God has brought us together and that God is not only with us, but that God's presence and power is in us. So let's do this together. Christ has died, Christ is risen, and Christ is coming back again. Thanks be to God. Father God, we thank you for your plan. We thank you that your plan from eternity to fill the earth with your glory would be accomplished through us, and that's, hum that's humbling, but it's also empowering. We thank you for your spirit this morning, your spirit that has brought us into relationship with Jesus, who has given us the power to make your name great, who's given us the power to continue to break down walls of separation and hostility, to give us the power to love one another, lay our lives down for each other, celebrate our differences, and pursue oneness. Lord, we pray that as this community 
looks at Soma Church, at Soma Midtown, that they would know what God is like because they know these people. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.